welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Your host, Jared Blanion, here today. We have a special guest joining us, Assemblymember Joaquin Arambula from the Fresno area. Dr. Arambula, thank you for joining us. How's it going? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. You know, I guess we've had kind of an interesting time here the last few months. Uh, you just went through a, an election season. Congratulations. You just reelected for what, your third term now? Is that right? Uh, I think that's correct. I did have a special election at the start, so it's hard to determine uh, where we are in terms, but yes, I was elected in 2016. And can you kind of, I guess, kind of tell us how it was, I guess, running for uh, re-election this time with kind of COVID-19 and kind of, you know, the distancing and, you know, not being able to really have, I guess, that usual voter contact you would normally have? Well, I think the best way for you to keep your job is to do a good job at what you're doing. And so oftentimes right now, that's meaning that we're actually still out in the community. Having been a provider of health care, I've been out in community a fair amount doing testing as well as food distribution and working to make sure that we have the best response we can during COVID-19 and really have been pleased at our ability to be able to connect still with community and to get out into some of our more rural parts of Fresno County. Interesting. You know, kind of, I guess, with your, your medical background and kind of seeing how the pandemic has, has gone, I guess, how is, how is Fresno County handling the pandemic and kind of what are some things you think that could be approved upon down there? Well, we struggled right off the bat. I'm not sure we um, understood the gravity that this pandemic had. I have been using language calling it the pandemic of the century so that we can make sure we understand uh, the concern that we should have with this pandemic. I look back to the influenza of 1918. Some people call it the Spanish flu and really have tried to study that pandemic to figure out what it is that we can learn. Now in Fresno County, we could have responded faster. We could have done more education. We could have worked and uh, uh, provided more culturally and linguistically competent information for community to understand about this pandemic and social distancing and wearing a mask that would have improved outcomes, but have been really impressed after we have had the strike teams come to Fresno at our ability to make sure we have a coordinated response that different departments aren't siloed off but we are working all together to make sure we can fight this vicious virus. You know, I guess a lot has been talked about kind of the economy with this pandemic and kind of how can you get the economy back going to where it was, get children back to school. And they've kind of came out with this kind of colored tier system. Um, and there's kind of been a lot of crit criticism about this, of this system, how many people think it's, it's impossible to meet these standards. And I guess what you're seeing in Fresno, um, you know, I guess how is the county responding to this kind of colored tier system? And I guess, do you think this is, a, I guess, a, feas a feasible path forward kind of uh, to, to, I guess, bring us back to kind of some, uh, some sense of normal? I think the colored system is a, a good system and um, I'm going to bring healthcare back into this, but we oftentimes will create tiers uh, with colored systems as well. I'll just speak about mass casualties as an example. It's, it's a way for us to be able to group people into certain risk uh, categories, if you will. And so I, I think there is a logic to looking at counties and providing guidelines for those counties to be able to progress. And I, and I will say that Fresno County, while we started as a purple, 
has moved into red. We were the first county in the Central Valley to move into red, and we've been in red since then. And that has allowed us to start working towards opening certain industries and businesses, as well as to allow decisions to be made by local school districts regarding school reopenings. But I will just speak as a parent, if I can, and say that I think it's a national emergency. And I, and I use that term national on purpose because we're gonna need national leadership and frankly, federal resources for us to be able to make sure we can get our kids back into classes as soon as we can but believe that is something we need to be working towards. But if I can bring it back to healthcare again, for me in the ER, we always had to deal with the heart attack before we dealt with the sprained ankle or the other issues that we have. Right. I really do believe we need to make sure that we're combating this vicious virus first and foremost, as that will be the best way for us to get our economy back up and running, as well as to get kids back into classrooms. Kind of, I guess, what are some of the tools you're seeing? What is the best way to, I guess, to combat this virus and kind of get, you know, kids back to school and people back to work? Well, I think we should talk about the end first, if we can, because this does end with science and it will require us to have a vaccine and for us to uh, be able to make sure we can distribute that vaccine. Now, none of that will occur rapidly as it will take time and um, uh there will be many questions about prioritization and who gets the vaccine right. and which of the state and country and all of that goodness that comes with that discussion. But that is the end of this entire pandemic. And so that's the light at the end of the tunnel that I think we need to make sure we are continuing to point forward towards. Now, what we can do until then is all the things we've been doing through this virus that I think now have finally started to hit in to so many in our community about wearing a mask and social distancing, and isolation where we can. All of those really washing hands. Those are the real tricks that have worked for a long time within healthcare. That's right. how we helped to not spread diseases and um, uh, but know that it will work for our state as well. Um, kind of, I guess, kind of going back to the, I guess, the legislative year, you know, a lot of people had a lot of plans, uh, a lot of bills, you know, to to roll out, and then kind of the session was cut short, kind of, I guess, what did your like, legislative package look like at the end of the year, and kind of what were some of the successes you had, kind of this legislative calendar? Like many people in the legislature this year, the priority was us uh, combating uh, COVID-19 and think that uh, we have done a good job here in Fresno County of making sure that our constituents have had a seat at the table and have had their voice be heard. Um, it hasn't been easy uh, in Sacramento to be able to get legislation through for many of us during this pandemic, partly because we uh, were within our districts, but also that the legislation didn't have a direct impact or relate to COVID-19 um, meant that it wasn't prioritized within schedules for policy committees. And so I think that there was a lot of good work we can return to this year and I've already started to have some of those conversations with my staff regarding bills that we plan to bring back. But I'd be remiss not to say that I spent um, at least half my time, if not more, working on the budget. Oh, yeah. Working on 
finances, that that side of, of the equation. And really do believe we did a lot of work this year. You know, as we were facing a $54 billion potential revenue shortfall to make sure that we did all we could to shore up the social safety net, the health and human services programs that I oversee within uh, budget sub one, the committee that I chair really was a huge accomplishment, really was a, a, a way for us to make sure that um, people were able to make ends meet uh, during this crisis. You know, I kind of, I guess, parlaying into that that question you have, <clears throat> that statement you just made. You know, you know, the the budget and, and a lot of the things going into healthcare. You know, we just had a, a ballot measure dealing with uh, kind of dialysis and diabetes is always um, kind of one of the largest leading killers out there. Uh, November is Diabetes Awareness Month. Um, kind of, what are you seeing in terms of of spending on diabetes and kind of what can the state do to kind of help people with diabetes and kind of um, kind of move that along so that it's, it's I guess, a, a more manageable disease and more cost-effective. Um, we had a wonderful presentation. It wasn't this year, but Dr. Goldstein, I believe from UCLA, came and talked to my committee about uh, diabetes, but also pre-diabetes. Those who are in that space right before you um, are, are requiring medications. The pre-diabetes where you still can do lifestyle modifications or weight loss before you're really requiring ph pharmaceutical or other types of interventions are appropriate ways for us to be able to treat this. But one of the things Dr. Goldstein really talked about was how there's an incentive for us as a state to be getting ahead of this, to be getting upstream of diabetes, to be working in the pre-diabetes space, to be screening people at a much earlier age. And so that's the area I really try to work within. How do we help to make sure we can have preventative screenings? How do we make sure that we have access for people in our community? How do we make sure that we can do hemoglobin A1C screenings that we do within all of our uh, health fairs within the Valley? And how do you make sure that they have a place to be able to follow up and to make sure that they're getting education and nutrition information? But I'll add my bias if I can, because my father-in-law has diabetes. He actually ended up getting diabetes from going off to Vietnam. He uh, did four tours while he was in Vietnam and got exposed to so much Agent Orange, his pancreas shut down and he developed wow. diabetes late, late in his life. But because of his diabetes, he's on a continuous glucose monitor. And I think there's a real advantage to those CGMs as they better allow us to dial in someone's treatment. It allows us to gain more information rather than to rely on finger sticks and people taking notes. Right. This is a way for us to make sure we are using technology to provide the best outcomes we could. And so while I focus on prevention and trying to right. not have people develop diabetes, I do think we as a state need to look towards CGM as part of the solution for us to make sure we are using all the tools in our tool chest. No, indeed. That's a, an amazing technology and can, can definitely help save the state uh, millions of dollars down the road and kind of um, preventing people from, you know, having to go into different centers and things like that. Um, so yes, that's definitely something very interesting to look at. 
um, kind of, I guess, turning to, to other budget priorities, kind of, you know, 2021 is a big unknown of, you know, I guess how much money the state was going to get, kind of, are we going to receive some stimulus funds? Um, kind of, what are, I guess, some of the budget items that, that, you're, that you're keeping an eye on for 2021? So if anything, during this pandemic, I hope we've learned that the health of each of us depends on the health of all of us. That we're going to need to make sure that we work towards universal health care as a way for us to be able to fight future events that are combating, um, that are facing our state. And so believe that will need to be a part of the discussion. I am acutely aware of the effects that this pandemic is having upon mental health and behavioral health and believe there will be a need and um, a discussion regarding telehealth and behavioral health as a, an opportunity for us during this crisis to improve upon our healthcare delivery system. Now, I will continue to work on increasing diversity within healthcare. It's been a priority for me since entering into the legislature. And so I'm looking towards ways we can help to support uh, and increase that diversity as, as I believe ultimately it will affect the outcomes. Some of the disparities that we're seeing within COVID can be rectified and improved by making sure we have a workforce more reflective of the communities in which they serve. But you started this by talking about our federal government and I think it would be, uh, while I would like to declare a winner since we are not even a week after the election, I, I will say I think I see the light at the end of the tunnel and I'm excited and optimistic about having a federal administration that we can partner with and the opportunities that would open up for stimulus packages, infrastructure packages, educational support would go a long way towards helping our state budget make sure we met all of our needs. Kind of, I guess kind of turning a page back, talking about your, your journey to the legislature, um, kind of when did you decide that you wanted to, I guess, run for office? And has this always been a, been a goal of yours or um, is this something that just kind of came about later in life? Now, I, I went off to college and uh, went to medical school. I spent 10 years practicing in an emergency room. It was in Selma. It's the raisin capital right. of the world, small little town. And, um, you know, I, I, I worked there because I primarily took care of farm workers and trabajadores and campesinos and people from my community who didn't have anywhere else to go. But it was while working in the emergency department that I saw firsthand and came to a realization that yo no puedo ver a mi gente solo. I, I cannot see my people alone. And so when I'd show up the following day and the day after that, and there was still a line out the door, it made me realize that something more needed to be done with the social determinants of health, the economic conditions or living conditions of my community were funneling people into the only place they could access healthcare, which was an emergency department. And so it was with that realization that I decided to ask more of myself and to run for office and to use their stories and what they told me when they were patients and to be able to then advocate in Sacramento, to be able to talk about the effect that poverty had when you're not able to afford the medications that I was prescribing. To talk about 
nutrition when so many people are just struggling to put the food on the table. And so I knew that by going up to Sacramento, I'd be able to affect the health of my community with larger brushstrokes. And none of, I, I had no idea that we would have the pandemic of the century while I was in Sacramento. And yet I do feel uniquely able to speak about the needs of my community and to be able to help to direct resources to where they're needed so that we are able to have the best outcomes we can here in San Joaquin Valley. Um, you know, your, your father was a, an assembly member before and worked a long time on the county supervisors. Um, you know, I guess how much, how much help has he been in kind of helping you and mentoring you, you know, before you came to Sacramento and, and helping you up here, um, you know, prepare for, for what you face? Um, he, for the longest time, he was one of the first people I asked and uh, it, for six months, he tried to talk me out of it. He, you know, he tried to, um, you know, and I, Jared, I, I believe your father was also right. in the field. And so, you know, while I was around it and while I was brought to many of these events as a young kid, it, it wasn't what I aspired to grow up to be. I did see many of the sacrifices that come with public service. I, I saw the um, need for you to not live in the same town as your family for part of each week and for you to um, be a voice for your community oftentimes meant you um, had to be able to be out in community more than normal and so those sacrifices were not something that I grew up wanting to be able to give and yet it was only after having practiced and gone through uh, private practice myself that I saw that we need good leaders in government and that if we don't ask more of ourselves, we're stuck with those who are in elected office right now. And so really felt an obligation. And, you know, more than I, I think uh, his counsel, I think sometimes it is in your blood, that feeling of advocacy and wanting to be able to stand up and to make the system better and to make our government better. And so I did feel that obligation and am really pleased that I ran. And, and now he is awfully supportive of me being in elected office. But I think originally he was a protective father as so many of us are and uh, really kept saying, these are your wage earning years, Michal. These This is your right. time to make sure you're putting away for your kid's college. And really what got to me was by being in Sacramento, I can fight for the health of the entire valley and now our state. And that means I can make more of an impactful difference than I could one patient at a time when I was working in the emergency room. Yeah, that's what that's well said and a different, uh, interesting way of looking at it. Um, how has your, I guess, your training, kind of your background in the emergency room, how often has that come in handy when, I guess, looking at legislation or working on an issue um, here in Sacramento? I think quite helpful, whether it's the um, ability to uh, transition quickly from one subject to the other. So if you're in an ER, you go from right. one room, maybe uh, dental pain to uh, uh, getting impaled with a tree trunk to a car accident to a common cold. And so often within the legislature, we're 
voting on a bill that's dealing with schools and then talking about earthquake safety and then looking at wildfire. And so the ability to um, uh, think about multiple uh, uh, issues at the same time to prioritize um, and to work shifts. Um, the hours that we work in the legislature aren't traditional or nine to five and sometimes can be um, quite long. And I believe that the training I did get in the ER, whether it was uh, handling all kinds of people who would come in and being social and being able to have good bedside manner to um, being a critical thinker or a problem solver have uh, served me well here in the state legislature. You know, earlier you mentioned kind of, you know, getting back to school and kind of the fact you had kids. Um, kind of, I guess, how have your kids been handling the pandemic? And I guess, how has distance learning worked out? You know, you balancing work and kind of working with them at school. How has that kind of been working out? Well, I will say I, I love the mornings a little more now, right? So I have a kindergartner, a second grader, and a fourth grader. And so uh, getting all three of them out, dressed, and breakfast by 7.30 isn't the easiest thing. And so... Um, you know, distance learning starting at eight in our household has given us a few more minutes just to get our day started. And um, do feel the pressures that so many families are feeling with distance learning, the struggle to keep the attention span, the need of our kids to really be social beings and to connect to other students. As my kindergartner remind me, dad, I just want to go to recess. Right. I, I, um, I'm living it, and um, and what I will say is it's been the silver lining for me during this pandemic, has been the ability to spend more time with my kids, the ability to see them grow up, to be side by side with them day in and day out, really has been a blessing from this pandemic. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I have a one in, in transitional kindergarten and uh, sitting there on the Zoom <laughs> with him, uh, and recess, that's usually my, my expertise, recess. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, definitely has been a silver lining. I guess kind of looking to next year, uh, the legislative session, you know, should start sometime in January. Kind of what are some of the things that you're going to look at uh, kind of possibly doing next year? Well, let me start with what we were just talking about, which is children. So many of our children right now are feeling the same fears and anxieties and social isolation and while they may not feel the economic hardship of this pandemic, their families are. And, and we must realize that while we're trying to deal with the learning loss that our kids are going through, we really must deal with the emotional issues that they're also being exposed to. And so I will be wanting to really look towards telehealth, behavioral health, and figuring out whether we can help to connect resources to break down silos between health and human services, as well as education, to provide real-time resources and resiliency to the kids who need it the most. I've worked pretty extensively in the past with our Surgeon General on ACEs and believe that if we are going to screen kids for trauma, we need to then connect them to resources. And so think there needs to be a lot of thinking behind how we help with social, emotional learning, how we're able to help to support our kids so that they can deal with the trauma better is one of the things that I hope to work on. But I think we have to really take a look at COVID. 
I don't think we're through this yet. And so believe a large part of our year is going to look and reflect on our response and to look at the system regarding how we deal with the, any future crises is an important part of what we will do in the legislature next year. But I do look forward to getting back to work. I love the job and I'm actually a bit of a policy wonk. I like reading through every page of the budget and the handouts and um, believe it makes and allows me to be a better representative. And I, I guess with your experience last year, kind of with the legislative code of, code of uh, COVID protocols, uh, kind of, kind of, I guess, truncating everything down. Um, with that experience last year, do you guys think that you will be able to, I guess, handle more of a bill load, or do you expect that you know it will be more of a, a truncated year again, policy-wise? I have not heard that uh, our bills have been uh, decreased at all um, thus far, and so. Uh, don't think I can comment on that, but I do think we may see an expedited schedule if uh, truncated policy committees, if you will, um, uh, um, so solely because uh, of space. It, you know, we are limited at some point to um, bringing the assembly members in and being able to clean as we saw through uh, the last legislative cycle, but do hope that we don't lose the process. For those of you who have been in Sacramento for a while, and you know, I've been there now since 2016, you grow to love the process right. and appreciate this and, and know that it's how you make better laws at the end of this. And so do hope that uh, we do everything within our power we can be as inclusive as possible despite going through COVID-19. No, no, definitely, well said. Well, Dr. Rambia, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. Really appreciate it. Uh, is there anything else you want to get out there before we have to run? No, I just want to say thank you for having me. I um, actually listened to your interview in uh, April 16th. I, I believe you did a Sacktown Talks. <laughs> and so um, I wanted to share. I, I was uh, one of those people who were listening to one you and okay. uh, hope to us today. Uh, uh, we're able to enjoy this and um, just hopefully everyone can stay safe. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us and uh, enjoy the rest of your recess and we'll see you back next year. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Make sure you like and subscribe on your YouTube page. Hit that notification bell or rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. Thanks to producers Phil and Vernon and we'll be back to you on Wednesday. Thank you. Are called dreamers. Wow.